welcome to our first podcast of 2023. Each episode of Conversations aims to bring you lively discussion with a range of investment experts focused on concepts and outcomes of interest to you and your clients. Our second series focuses on silver linings, that advantage that comes from a challenging situation. 2022 was something of a bonanza when it came to challenges. With the first rate rise of 2023 now under our belt, will this year continue to challenge financial markets, investment theses and investors' fortitude? Today, I'm joined by GSFM's CEO, Damien McIntyre, and Jubei Liu, Lead Portfolio Manager of the $1.2 billion Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund. They'll discuss the Aussie market and how stocks and sectors are coping with inflation, rate increases, and volatility. Where are the silver linings and what positives can investors take from the current investment environment? Before I hand over, I need to read this important notice. The information contained in this podcast is general and does not consider your objectives financial situation or needs. The information and views contained in this update reflects, as of the date of recording, the current opinions of the participants and are subject to change without notice. Before making an investment decision in relation to a fund, investors should consider the appropriateness of this information, having regard to their own objectives, financial situation and needs, and read and consider both the product disclosure statement and any additional information. GSFM Responsible Entity Services has produced a target market determination in relation to all of the GSFM funds. The TMD sets out the class of persons who comprise the target market for the various funds, which can be downloaded from our website. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, 8th of February, 2023. Damo and Junbei, take it away. Thank you very much, Tracy, and welcome everyone, and welcome to you, Junbei. You're making your debut in the GSFM <laughs> podcast series, so welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you, Tracy. I'm very excited about the conversation today. So are we. Uh, for your benefit and for the benefit of our, our listeners, as Tracy pointed out, we do talk to all of our managers through the course of the year, and the purpose of these discussions really is to flesh out what's going on in markets, what's going on in your portfolios, and hopefully give some insights to our clients who can then use those insights either to frame their own thinking or to assist in their discussions with their clients. Mm. So hopefully we'll have a, an enlightened discussion for our listeners. And I might just kick things off by congratulating you, Junbei. You attended the SON conference last year and you picked a, let's just say at this stage, it looks like a, a diamond in the rough. You've got a minute. Can you just talk to us about the stock use selected uh, because it is topical given it's linked to the Chinese economy. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I always love these forums where we can talk about, you know, how we think about investments. And, you know, during today's world, a share market movement often make it quite confusing sometimes for investors. So in terms of this stock pick, yes, uh, late October, if everyone remember, late October, early November, you know, Asian share market really went through some crisis, particularly the Chinese share market, where they had very tight COVID control and uh, and it just looked like they may never recover. What we saw at the time was the this is the Chinese economy that haven't been reopened and we have seen the examples of the every other economy when they do go through their reopening path and what happens to those stock sectors and economy and so you know we just saw incredible amount of opportunity at that point in time uh, even now, uh, now also you know in certain sectors and we see those sectors will benefit enormously now the company we picked was the China tourism group duty-free 
ticker code is 1880 in Hong Kong. Now, this is actually the world's largest duty-free company by dollar term by sales. It is the duty-free company in China, almost represents over 90% market share in China for duty-free. And we all knew what happened to duty-free shops during lockdown, and particularly the tough lockdown measure that China took place. The earning took a heavy beating, and so was the share price. This is a company at the time we saw had billions of dollars sitting on the balance sheet. It is very strong in terms of relationship, in, in terms of growth prior to the strict lockdown. And we know it is now, with all that um, strong balance sheet, it is looking to expand globally to follow the Chinese tourists. So for us, this is a very strong, sim almost simple story, almost like the highest quality company that nobody has heard of. So it's a very easy pick for us to uh, make the decision then. That was a great buying opportunity. Since then, the share price has rallied over, you know, over 50% just in the last month or so. Um, we believe there's more to go simply because Chinese tourists, as with every other economy, there will be revenge traveling, <laughs> a revenge spending and revenge traveling. And Chinese tourists, they are big on duty free. So this is a thematic that really play in the favor of that company, aside from global expansion that just goes on top of it. Yeah. So, you know, we really love that company. It's done very well. So far, what we heard is that it's number one in the, in the race, as you know, with some conference or the manager put a stock pick and, uh, you know, we join a race and it's doing very well at the moment. Oh, congratulations. Now, China is globally, it's a critical economy. It's one of the world's largest. Based on the conversations that you have with people you know in the market, how is that reopening tracking? Yeah, look, the reopening is actually tracking really well. So when they first reopened you know, a month ago, literally they just let go all of the controls. And, you know, I must say consumer did go into a bit of panic because of the COVID cases were rising rapidly. So a stats of something like over 80% of Chinese people already all had COVID in the last month or so. But if we look at the spending by consumer leading up to the Chinese New Year, as well as uh, during the Chinese New Year, as well as travel, as well as the services spending, um, they they are back up. They have now gone back to pre the tough lockdown period, which was last year. And the consumers are actually spending uh, quite aggressively. They out and about in the top tier city where they first had the infection a month ago. Um, now consumers are already out and spending. And uh, even the elderly is now coming out and spending on services, not so much goods. So the reopening economy is doing really well. And it's actually happening a lot faster than what everyone expects. Just because Chinese, there's so some structural differences in the Chinese economy people they do want to spend and they need to be out and they'll be locked down in severe condition for a very long time and at the same time the labor movement they pick up significantly very quickly because most of the people work in china they don't really have any government support so the minute they are allowed to be working they will come out and work and then they will spend in the areas where they live and work so the economy is actually reopening very strongly the housing market is recovering slowly that's something that probably will take longer to come through but in terms of spending by services is absolutely picking up a lot faster than what everyone expects. If you look at the, the history of well, the last 20 years in China, Xi took, I can't remember the statistic, but let's call it a billion people out of poverty. And China invested enormous amounts of money in infrastructure and, and housing. There does come a point where that spending peaks. And what we're seeing now, as you've described, is China transitioning to a consumer economy. It's a more mature economy these days. To see those consumers getting back to work and opening their wallets, is a great thing. Absolutely. I think 
it's interesting about China. Last couple of years has been really challenging for foreign investors in China, just given overall ideological changes and and the restructure that is taking place over in China and has um, you know really caused a lot of volatility over there. Now, so far in the last few months, we have seen quite a definitive shift in some of those directions. First of all, is you know what how they treat the COVID zero policy and how they change now to be more pragmatic, which is the previous strategy that's being adopted by China for a very long time. And it really works with foreign investment because, you know, pragmatic China is a more friendly China. On the foreign relations front, we're also hearing terms China is, you know, Australia and China is finally getting together and we at least started the conversation. So there is a lot of hope that some of our goods will might start to be resumed, to be purchased by China. And maybe, just maybe, some of the very harsh tariff that's being imposed in the last few years may just reduce somewhat just as a gesture of friendship and Chinese students are being urged by the Chinese government to return to foreign land to study. So, so all of these signs is certainly sending a quite a positive signal to, to what is to come in the next 12 months and that is a pretty good environment for generating return in that market. Yes, and that's really the story for Australia. It, it, it's not just mm. bulk commodities like iron ore and coal that China are ferocious consumers of. There are a range of other goods, agricultural goods, wine, a long list of goods that mm. we export to China. Their strength and, as you say, a softening of previous high tariffs, it all goes well for corporate Australia's ambition to partner more in China, with China, with uh, in export of goods. There's three things that are constantly in the papers at the moment, and I don't envy you in trying to to sequence them and then profit from them. But the three things that are most in the paper at the moment are interest rates, which in part seems to be driven by inflation. A strong labour market is also seen to be a a contributor to the argument of of continuing to increase interest rates. And then paradoxically, there's also this fear now of a recession as a result of high interest rates, both in Australia and indeed in other countries, uh, Europe and the United States. So why don't we start with inflation? Because inflation seems to be the heart of the, the RBA's decision to continuing to increase interest rates. I suppose two questions. One, what's your read on that strong inflation number in the December quarter? And equally, what are you seeing in terms of corporates being able to pass that inflationary impact? on the consumers by way of price rises. Yeah, that's a really good question, Damien. Share market constantly struggling between one end to the other from inflation to high interest rate to recession. So yes, so in terms of inflation, December, December number was the fourth quarter was very strong. So that means now it brings the annual inflation to 7.8% year on year. So that is quite a high inflation by historical term and certainly is being felt across the many, many various sectors. Now, our corporates actually have been very good in passing through inflation through higher prices, you know, particularly the likes of the retailers, we have seen price rises of something between 5 and 10% came through. And so far in the last couple of weeks, we have heard from retailers such as JB Hi-Fi, super cheap, and soon we'll hear from Woolworth, uh, price increases they put through. And most of the retailers, interestingly, have managed to hold good margin. So that just simply means that currently we are in a strange environment where consumer demand is still very strong. Inflation is running high. People are feeling a little bit of a pinch, but they feel happy to spend because 
know, like you said, the job employment environment is very good. Employment price increase through the wage growth hasn't been there yet, but it will follow. And with that kind of optimism, our economy is actually in a pretty good state by historical sense. So expect this coming reporting season, we'll hear more corporates talk about how strong the revenue environment is. But with the possibility, a little bit of caution for the next six months, maybe things will just become a little bit harder just as the people start struggling with some of the higher interest rates. So inflation, I think it will head higher. The main driver for our higher inflation in the next 12 months is actually wages. Our wage growth, as you know, has been behind that of the US wage growth and other European countries. The main reason being that our employment market, two thirds, is consists of the award type of negotiation. And these will take time for higher inflation, higher wage growth to come through. Usually they lag at about one to two years and sometimes even longer. So that just simply means as those new awards get renegotiated, we will get gradual increase of wage, almost like a stubborn increase of inflation that nothing we can do about because these essentially wage should have been higher. Probably why you actually see a lot more strike and the like in the public sector and uh, even the private sector, you've seen a lot more of that. It's just a sign of things to come. So our inflation will be higher, sadly, but I guess on the positive note though, some of the commodities like oil prices is definitely now lower than what it was last year. It's a bit of a relief and we're seeing a few other, you know, bottleneck, a few other supply chain related sort of price pressure now easing off because China's opening up, they, the factories are reopened so the goods can move freely. So, you know, they, I do believe that China, with China reopening, they will bring some deflationary impact through some of the goods which, you know, which went through incredible amount of price increase. Travel cost is going to become lower, particularly the air tickets. You know, we had a lot of capacity constraint because of lack of Chinese carriers and uh, lack of labor mobility and people. So that's going to ease. So net-net, we think inflation is going to be moved higher to the high single digit by the end of this year, but it's uh, it, it's going to be gradual and it's going to be well-maintained and expected by the RBA. So I don't think they will be surprised by the time we get there. With no disrespect to our colleagues in, in bond land or fixed interest managers, the one thing about equities is that it is a hedge on inflation because, as you say, for the most part, companies can pass on inflationary impacts to consumers as higher prices. The concern, of course, when wages come in, inflation is it's cyclical. It rises and it falls, whereas wage rises are permanent. And I think, if anything, that's what we're most concerned about, you know, a rapid acceleration of wages. This creates problems for management teams navigating this difficult path. But so far, we seem to have got through it quite well, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right about listed market, the ASX 200, have historically been very good insulator for higher inflation and because the corporates are corporates, um, particularly some of the large quality companies have demonstrated their ability to pass through prices. And so far, they've done very, very well in the last six months when, you know, every economist was really worried about the clip that's coming. And I do expect a little bit of softness, but net-net demand environment is still pretty good for them. For those, you know, I guess in this sort of inflation environment, you know, the key is that is the interest rate expectations. Normally, you if you look at the returns that can be generated by the share market, the highest return period is always the slight inflationary period plus benign. We have a little bit of inflation, which is great for prices because a lot of companies make a margin on high prices. So actually profitability grows in the inflationary environment you know, when it's not uh, skyrocketing as long as it's measured. And coupled with a benign interest rate environment, so we know interest rate will go 
little bit higher, but not too high. This environment is actually fantastic for corporate earnings. It's just, yeah, it's just because demand's still okay. Market, we're not heading to recession or anything, just slowing down. People still spending, corporates making more money so they can then spend more on CapEx, research, um, people. And that actually gives a pretty good outlook. I would say we actually somewhat heading toward that kind of scenario. We, yes, the interest rate is going to go higher, but looking at what is happening in the US, the Fed is, is pivoting very soon. So that actually bodes pretty well for where we might go six months down the track. You know, remember, they started six months earlier than we have in the US and we kind of a little bit behind. So we will continue to escalate, but a pragmatic RBA certainly means that interest rate outlook isn't going to be completely surprising to any investors. And I do argue that we are probably heading into a more pretty favorable environment for equities. Yeah, well, I think employment's strong and, and it continues to be strong. So recessions are uh, really are as deep as the labour market falls. So far, that, that looks good. And as you say, it sort of, it all adds up to, yes, we will slow down, but the slowdown will be mild and then eventually rates will peak and we can move on from there. One question I am interested in is how are you seeing the increase, increase in interest rates from a corporate point of view? Just as mortgages may well be under stress, are you seeing any Australian companies that are struggling with hiring interest commitments? Yeah, there is a few, but look, by far, majority are in far better position uh, in terms of balance sheet compared to what they were before COVID. Remember, during the COVID in the last few years, corporates have corporates have accumulated massive amount of uh, liquidity for their balance sheet, so a lot of cash sitting on the balance sheet. Many of them have become debt-free. So this is what a lot of investors were expecting last year before the bond yield became a little bit volatile, was that this huge amount of M&A that will come through by the list of corporates, because their balance sheet is very strong and by historical terms they will go out and spend and we saw the beginning of it but clearly when the bond yields started moving erratically then it did affect the confidence somewhat so corporates are not in any ways in general in aggregate under any stress now if you look at which sector normally have a lot of debt so these are the likes of property sector the listed property sector you know went through a pretty aggressive selling by investors last year and then they just staged a very strong comeback in the last couple of months most of them they do have hedging events in terms of hedging off uh, increasing interest rate. And then the good news is that many of them, the likes of Center Group and every few large passive REITs, they do have a inflation escalator in their rental agreements. So which means whatever the average inflation is, they'll pass it through in the next 12 months. There might be a lag in terms of the earning margins where it's going, but it's well flagged. And I think they're well insulated from the potential credit crisis, anyone that might be predicting. So the corporate is in a very good, a very strong position at the moment. Just talking about recession and the economy, Jen, one of the advantages you have as a portfolio manager is you can choose the sectors that you can invest in. You can choose to have higher exposures to defensive sectors over growth sectors. So just in terms of your portfolio positioning on the long side, and we'll, we'll get to the short side in a minute, how have you positioned the portfolio? Can you talk to us about some of those companies? Of course. Look, so our portfolio, because we are an active manager, we can go long and short. Uh, we sometimes do take tactical positioning. So right now, because we had a really strong January <laughs> in the Australian market off to the races, we are positioned somewhat defensive, a, a little bit more defensive, but with a bit of a growth tilt. What I mean is that we bought more healthcare. This is a sector where we do think it will do really well in 2023 because this sector will have been punished in the last 12 months by 
like, you know, because they were a bit more expensive. So the growth was sold off as the interest rate expectation escalated. So they're cheaper. And then they will offer that structural growth. Their earnings will be upgraded because many of them were impacted. Earnings were impacted by the COVID and are now just recovering from that. And then they, you know, exceptionally defensive and, you know, future-proof the portfolio. So some of the names we like, the likes of Ramsey, you know, clearly, that definitely clearly was a COVID loser. And now in the next 12 months, earnings should expect to at least double. And it's trading on very reasonable valuation with very strong property portfolio, premium private hospital buildings. You know, we like the likes of CSL. So one of the largest stocks listed in the ASX 200, it's very defensive and it will grow uh, mid-teens for the next three years. It's a company like that, earnings will grow regardless if there's a recession or slowdown or war anywhere else. So, so business like that, we do have a bigger position in the portfolio. We see value, we see good earnings growth, we see earnings upgrades, and you know we see them be in a much higher share price in 12 months than they are today. And you mentioned a growth tilt. Uh, which companies would you bucket in that growth basket? In terms of the growth tilt, we so it's essentially the healthcare is what we consider a growth tilt because they will oh, okay. grow, they're structural growth leaders. But the uh, the likes of technology sector is also growth. They offer much higher growth than the healthcare leaders, but maybe a little bit less execution track record compared to the likes of CSL or Cochlear. But they do provide you know significant amount of higher growth. Some of the name we like across that technology space, you know, the likes of Technology One. It's a very defensive growth company. Again, earning was impacted by the COVID because of quite a big focus of this business is sold to edge government education space, which, you know, we all know there was no students, but it's recovered strongly and it's doing very well. Mid-team growth, expected year in, year out. It's a very high quality business. We also just started looking at some of the other, you know, growth names that just hasn't recovered. Things like Zero is a name we have liked for a very long time, went through challenging period. And clearly with its exposure to, to the UK economy, you know, share price has really taken a better while all its other peers you know share price recovered this one hasn't we see that as an opportunity really for investors with a longer term view previously we took you know we also i think five months ago maybe four months ago we took position in domino pizza we saw it was unfairly sold off for being a growth stock and you know near-term earnings disappointing somewhat and uh, and then we took the position you know in since september we bought it we made almost 50 percent just there's a lot of opportunity across the australian market, particularly in that growth space, because investors were a bit cautious about that area, just need to do the homework and work out the company's long-term story, whether it's still intact. Junbei, we were talking before about the, the thawing of relations, if you like, between China and Australia with the new government and opportunities that this thawing may well create for Australian companies moving forward. One company in your portfolio that you think could benefit from this step change is Treasury Wines. Do you mind explaining to us the thesis for holding this stock and what do you see its prospects for this year? Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk about this company, probably one of my favorite companies. Look, we do think this company has a lot of um, potential for growth, even without the changes in the relationship. Now, Treasury Wine is a company that with such a strong brand and resonated with consumer all around the world, particularly Asian consumer. And last couple of years being tough for them when the tariff was almost doubling the price of their products and almost killed off the, the whole China market. But they were successfully and demonstrated that they uh, were successful 
successfully to sell those wine to other markets that always wanted more of the treasury wine uh, product. So, you know, it's it's been an incredible company. Without the changes in China-Australia relationship, business will grow uh, between 20 and 25% this year. That's an incredible amount of growth and it's not super expensive. And don't forget, it's got a very, very strong balance sheet and a lot of, you know, it's inventory essentially, all those premium wine. And if China and Australia relationship does stall, you know, you're talking about between 15 and 20% earnings upgrade for this company by consensus over the next few years. So this is when we talk about opportunity, the share price could go up enormously. Put that aside, it is still a growth company that we believe should be core of your holding. And in Australian market, you don't really get many luxury brands um, opportunity to be invested in. And this is one of them. Now, we've talked about your fund being a long short fund, which is, I imagine, puts you in conflict because there's a portion of your book that you're desperately hoping to increase in value and there's a portion of your book that you're feeling the same way, but you want it to go down. How do you cope with that push and pull, if you like? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, you know, as an investor, we always have both sides. So as an analyst that you look, you study a company and then you work out your valuation and then you say, I'll buy it or I won't buy it. But to me, it's literally just saying, if you don't want to buy it, is that a short? So literally just one step further. To, to be able to do short is a is a quite a technical skill because, you know, uh, ultimately, if you short something and you get it wrong and you don't manage it properly, your loss can grow on you. Whereas a long, you if you get it wrong, it shrinks or it get loss gets smaller. You know, as a longshore manager, we I'm very, very active. So we run our risk parameter every single day, every single morning. We know exactly what our short basket is and why we have the short. And we know exactly what we're expecting, what's the expected return out of every single short position. So a lot of time when we run short, we use it to offset the risk exposed by our longs. So say if we want to go by CSL, um, you know, CSL exposes us to risk a growth risk, you know, so then it's a growth stock, uh, expose us to high interest rate risk because, you know, high interest rate will affect the valuation of a growth stock, you know, so all I need to do is find something, a basket of other smaller stocks on the other side to offset that. And what would be great if I can find a company that has an earnings downgrade that's expensive and growth and all of that, then I essentially neutralize my exposure to all these unnecessary things like growth and all of that. Let's not worry about that. Let's let the fundamental play through. So so this is how we actually generate a very strong performance and very consistent performance throughout many cycles, whether it's a growth market, value market, risk off market, risk off markets, you know, that's how we consistently do that. And also it gives us the opportunity to buy things that's out of favor. You know, when everyone else kind of just sitting and waiting for the catalyst, we can go in and buy it and be the first to make that first um, 40%, if you like. And the way, that, as you described, the way this plays out in practice is that you have a portfolio of long positions and then you're increasing the portfolio's diversification by adding shorts as well. So it really does broaden the portfolio and as, as we often say, diversification is an investor's best friend and that's really what you're achieving here, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So for me, longshore is to for me, longshore is the best way to invest it, it, because it offers you to be uh, essentially it leverage our, our expertise in finding out information, um, finding out the best investment or the worst investment, and make money on both sides. And so when the market goes into whether it's free fall or bull market, then we can find opportunity on both sides. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it is a terrific way to play equities, isn't it? Just before we wrap up, I wonder if you could just summarise how you see the next three to six months playing out for the market and your fund. 
Absolutely. I think the next three to six months, we will see a bit of volatility. For the next 12 months, we think the market will be up on what it was. However, because January, we had such a strong January, there was a lot of positivity being priced into a possibly a little bit weaker reporting season that's coming up, that's starting now. We do think that by March, the equity might head a little bit lower before it pick up again. Now, I think somewhere between the three and six months, you know, we, we will begin a new bull market, you know, simply on the basis that, you know, I think the inflation, yes, it's high. It's higher, but it's almost um, getting to a peak level. And then we've got uh, interest rate under control as well. At the same time, the corporate downgrades will be washed through by then. We're heading into a pretty good environment. But it just meanwhile, in the next couple of months, we will have a little bit of volatility. Thank you, Jumbei. Uh, I found our conversation really interesting. And I think that our clients will certainly find your point of view and the way you invest your fund of great interest as well. So good luck for 2023. And we look forward to talking to you again later on in the year. Thank you so much, Damien. And as usual, it's such a great um, opportunity to be here and to talk to you. And I wish all the investors best of luck. Uh, Don't be fearful. Just invest when you see opportunities. 